It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. I am Scott, and joining me as always is Lauren. Yes, I am. Hello! Welcome to the semi-regular podcast, Movies You Should Love, where we talk about movies, we dissect them, we tear them apart. It's like film school without the tuition. Um, That's if you exactly want, what it's like. <laughs> this is exact. This is it boiled down to its core essence. <laughs> Two nerds talking film. That's right. <laughs> Forget all those lessons in lighting and cinematography. Man. Bah! Just sit around and talk Continuity. Film. <laughs> um... Yeah, and if you want to join us, join this conversation, you can find us on Facebook at uh, Movies You Should Love. Uh, we have a site there. We're on Twitter. And, of course, at MoviesYouShouldLove.com. Um, we're here to talk about the Muppets. The Muppets, the Muppets, the Muppets. Woohoo! Um, but before we get into that, before we oh. light the lights, um, let's talk about some of the other movies we've seen recently. Lauren, oh. what have you been up to lately? Well, uh, with the promise of Muppets, it's very hard to focus on other options here. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, uh, man, I've seen a bunch of stuff, and we're probably not even going to be able to talk about everything here. Right. Um, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to talk about a little-known film that I saw that is probably my favorite film that I've seen so far this year. Um, it's called Tim's Vermeer, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to, we have a little uh, independent theater, well, it's sort of independent, uh, up in, uh, just north of us here that kind of plays independent films and stuff, and uh, uh Two or three weeks ago, Brandy and I went up there to, to see this, um, and my goodness, I was very pleased with it. Um, it's uh, it's produced by Teller of Penn and Teller, okay, um, and it is about their friend Tim, who um, is uh, if you know anything about um, um, video production, there was a thing uh, kind of in the nineties uh, called Video Toaster. Um, yeah. that, was, that was an effect sort of thing. Anyhow, uh, Tim is the guy, Tim Jennison, that's his name, uh, is the guy who made it, right? And so he's kind of a self-made rich dude at this point. <laughs> self-made rich dude, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he started out doing other stuff and ha- happened into creating this thing and, and, you know, it boomed and he's now wealthy beyond all all bounds. And uh, so uh, he's kind of an eccentric sort of guy. Um, and uh, he read a book a few years ago about the artist Vermeer, who, you know, uh, this is the artist who do- did the girl with the pearl earring and mm-hmm. you know, several of those sorts of, you know, really, uh, really famous paintings. And uh, there was a, a biography or kind of a, uh, I don't know, a forensic biography kind of thing or something written a few years ago that basically was talking about how did Vermeer paint his paintings? Because when you analyze them, they have um, they have the characteristics of photography versus painting. Interesting, right? Like the way that the light works in it and stuff. It's like that's why everybody loves his paintings so much. Is that at a time when art was doing things in a certain way, he was capturing light and shadow and things in like in like ways that you only see in photographs. And so mm. kind of the premise I think of this book was well maybe he was using like a really early camera obscura, you know, kind of a, basically like a pinhole camera concept to mm. maybe somehow paint this. But nobody knows how he did this, right? Well, Tim, who is this millionaire or however much money he's got, is like, well, let's find out. And so this documentary goes and follows Tim who 
comes up with an idea on how this works creates all of these optic things that would have could have could have and probably did exist at the time of Vermeer and rebuilds Vermeer's studio in Texas um, and spends several years creating this new process, never having painted before a day in his life, and ends up painting his own Vermeer painting. Wow. And uh, it's fascinating. It's, it's horribly fascinating, because the, uh, the first time he sits down and thinks he has this process figured out, he takes an old World War to photo of his father and has it and he's painting he basically he's got this this kind of optics thing where it's like a mirrored sort of thing and he's painting and um they're able to capture on film the process and it's magic this is a guy who had like never picked up a paintbrush in his life and he is able to create a in about five hours a photorealistic painting of his father from this photograph using this process and so then he expands that out over the course of several years into doing a full-size vermeer painting Mm -hmm. it's crazy fascinating like it's it's a really cool journey um it it definitely posits like you know this um this particular view on how vermeer did this stuff there's people who who disagree with it and I guess they can go make their own movie, and that's fine. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, just watching it. It's a very, um, it, it's just a very affirming kind of movie about what art is and what uh, what being an artist is and what that means. And at the same time, also just being inspired to follow a passion and to figure things out and stick through things. Cause you know, it takes him hundreds of days to paint this Vermeer painting. And, you know, like, like the first few days are really interesting. And then a, a few days in, he suddenly realizes like he has a whole painting to go. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> and like, they've done this documentary up to this point and it's been, you know, a couple of years of documentary. Like, does he keep going and finish it? Or like, could he really be doing something better with his, like, there's all this really interesting stuff that kind of happens because of it. It's not, right. it's not a really fast paced movie, but it's very entertaining, very mm-hmm. interesting. And like, uh, I-, I loved it. So cool. I highly I, recommend I, it. If it's, if it's playing I, near you, yeah. If it's playing near you, get it. If it's, on a DVD, I don't know when that's available, but we'll put links or something up because it's yeah. Fantastic. I've never even heard of it, and it sounds like it sounds like the kind of thing Netflix will probably pick up and will be streaming. Yeah, in the not too distant future. Yeah, I'll I'll keep everyone updated because I'm I'm really happy I saw it in the theater. It's going to be impactful wherever you see it, and I I I will find out how to let you know <laughs> where <laughs> where to see it. Oh man, I'm trying to think of where to go from there. Um, I guess if you want to talk about impactful movies, um, <laughs> I just saw 12 Years a Slave. Um, Ooh, it was a definitely, yeah. it was not a movie I was able to see in the theater. Um, I'm actually glad it wasn't a movie I saw in the theater. Um, I, it's movies like this that make me really hate Django Unchained. Mm. <laughs> um, because I feel like, and I mean, Quentin Tarantino has his place, and I, my review of Twelve Years a Slave isn't my place to talk about Quentin Tarantino necessarily. But I feel like he used slavery and um, really just to make another black exploitation film. And I don't think that was—I don't think that—I I, I actually kind of think that was his the whole point of his making that movie because he loves those kinds of movies. And when you look at that, um, 
and you compare it to 12 Years a Slave, Django Unchained really comes off as an insensitive cartoon mm. of the time. Um, I wasn't able to make it through this movie in one sitting. I had to, I watched, I watched it in three chunks, basically. And um, it is exactly the movie it should be. Um, and that is a very honest, very rough movie that feels very, very genuine and not exploitive of the material, of the actors, of the time period. It doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like it's inciting anything. Like I feel like it's the, it's this is the kind of conversation that can stir up a lot of emotions. And I was I was in tears really within the first fifteen minutes of the movie, um, just because it was so honest. Um, and I don't know if people know the movie. I mean, at this point, you probably do. Um, uh, best be- picture this year. It, yeah, it, it was. It won a lot of awards, and it's a true story of a of a free man, a free black man who was living in New York, who was conned by two entertainers, basically, who said, "Come with us down to Washington D.C. We have this uh, traveling circus, basically, because this man was a was a very good uh, fiddle player, fiddlist." I guess. Um, and I go, we would love for you to provide the music for this entertainment. We'll pay you very well. The money will be yours to keep. Um, you just have to travel from us from here in New York down to D.C. Um, at that time, slavery was illegal in New York, but it was legal in Washington, D.C. And so once he gets down to D.C., they basically um, drug him and sell him into slavery. Um, it's just an astonishing movie. It's an astonishing story that is true. It's just... Mm. An, and it's one of those things, if you just sat down to watch, you'd be like, no. But it, it, it's a true story. It's like we have the memoir. We have like the, the historical record is there to back up this story. And he is a slave for the next 12 years of his life and um, goes from plantation to plantation. And you see and it. it the, the thing I really found most compelling about the movie, other than me being able to completely relate to this man who whose life story is nowhere anything like mine, um, was... I, the the different plantation owners he he meets there's two different plantations he ends up on um and then there's a third man who enters the conversation later in the film but these three men um the first one specifically he's played by benedict cumberbatch um and he is what he's a good man mm-hmm. he's a decent fellow who's a slaver and the uh, and that, that's kind of what they call him. That's what the the slaves call him. They go, he's a slaver, and he's like, no, no, but he's a good man. He would, you know, he he doesn't mistreat us. He's he's a good man. They're like, he's a sla- he owns slaves. What he's still a person who owns slaves and benefits from the fact that he owns mm-hmm. human beings. Um, and they do this twice in the movie where. Um, these plantation owners will be giving sermons on Sunday morning. They're you know they're kind of holding a a devotional because it's it's Sunday and it's church time, and um, they'll be they'll be pre- they'll be uh, preaching the gospel. They're they're reading passages from the New Testament that are about grace and love and all of these things. But while they're preaching, the score for that scene will be um, a it will either be someone being um, it's it'll be a slave song hmm. or it'll be um, a song that like there's once there's a there's a song a one of the the guys who runs the plantation sings to the slaves that um, I will not repeat because it is filled with the n word um, but he's singing it going you know you better run the the lyrics are basically like you better run if you're going to run you better run fast because if I'm going to find you um, I'm going to 
you know, basically beat you to death. So if you're going to run, you better run. And so you hear that song underneath um, the sermon, the sermon, and it's shocking and disturbing. And it reminds you that, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's one of those conversations living here in the South. It's one of those conversations that comes up every once in a while. And we actually went on a tour of Oak Alley down in Louisiana. Um, and the, our tour guide at the end of it, it, it was one of the most shocking moments of my own personal life in that at the end of the tour, uh, he kind of looked around to make sure that I'm going to be very honest here. He, he looked around the group and made sure everybody around him was white and then said, if you're going to be, a, if you were going to be a slave back then, this was the place to be a slave. Um, and it's just one of the most uncomfortable statements I've ever heard anybody make. And he, he went on to talk about how great the slaves had it at, uh, at Oak Alley at the time. I don't know how accurate he was because Kelly and I were slowly backing away from the group the more he talked. Um, but it's that kind of conversation that continually comes up, I feel like, um, by certain uh, certain people. And so when you look at that and you go, yeah, I'm not saying everybody in the South was evil. I'm not saying everybody was awful. I'm, I, I can't say that. But at the same time, we do have to look at a society that was built on the backs of other people. You may be a good person by these moral standards, but if your moral standards still allows for the selling of human beings, I don't know how good you can really claim to be. Well, and and it's interesting. This was like the exact conversation that was going on in the 1840s and 50s leading up to the Civil War. Right. Uh, You know, I mean, there. uh, it's, it's not just... And uh, if you want to learn more about all of this, I have a documentary coming out next month where you can learn more. But uh, aside from that, I'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. Uh, more in heaven, more on earth.com. Um, no, but the, uh, I mean, you had, you had literally uh, like church denominations splitting over mm-hmm. slavery. You had all, all this stuff because this was the question, like, can a Christian keep slaves? Can a good person keep slaves? Mm-hmm. Can't, and like, I mean, that's really, that was... You know, there's a lot of argument about about slavery, and without taking sides on it, right. particularly, I think just there's a central concept with it where, you know, a lot of people take things to things where about states' rights or, mm-hmm. you know, um, the ability for a, a state to secede or for the state to set their own laws or mm-hmm. uh, any number of things. And I suppose those are all really valid issues at the time for and, mm-hmm. and maybe even potentially for our time for people to be discussing. You know, I I'm I'm okay with that sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. But the larger conversation was this thing of can you own human beings? Yeah. And it's hard to stake sub conversations that are maybe or maybe not valuable on top of something that I think at this point in time we can definitely agree is a moral issue yeah. that we need to stand on and man it's it's a fascinating horrible sort of time period yeah, i mean it's 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 really yeah the more i study the the darker it is to me it is and what what, what really astounded me and he was it, this character is the perfect character for me to be pulled into this story because he's an educated man he can he speaks very eloquently he knows how to write he knows how to read and so it's very easy for you to connect to him and then be pulled back into that time and then to live. I I was fearful for him from the offset because all of a sudden you realize, despite the fact that he could write a letter, he didn't have the tools to do it. He didn't have the ability, you know, so he didn't have the ability to do it. And it's not like today where I could get on my phone, I could get on the internet. 
he was completely cut off with absolutely no way of reaching out to anybody. And the society that had been built up at that time, there's, it would have taken him to trust a white person of power. Mm-hmm. And there's no white person of power who's going to help him because even the ones who kind of who who are um, who disagree with slavery don't want to get involved with the current law of the land because they could get in trouble in all these different ways. And so as soon as it happens, you kind of go, "Well, why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do that?" And the movie very quickly goes, "He can't do that for these reasons," and you're like, "Oh." He's it, it's over. His his life story is over at this point. And you just kind of like, it's amazing he was able to. It's it amazing he was able to do what he did, and he didn't give up. And the story has a it has a it has a as good of an ending as this kind of story can. Um, but as you just you feel completely powerless through the entire movie, and you feel completely at the whim of. Everyone's it, when you know Michael Fassbender shows up, you're just like, well, okay, what's what's he going to do? You know, and there's nothing you can do as the viewer, as as uh, as Solomon. There's nothing you can do, and it's it's a remarkable movie that I would recommend everybody seeing. But I also understand, like I've already heard people go, oh, I can't watch that, and I I respect that because it's it's not an easy movie to watch. That being said, I feel like other movies have shown and done more when it comes to showing people being whipped showing showing the abuse you know it's like it's not it doesn't feel exploitive ever it it it's a more of a psychological emotional connection that you're going to have i think and being very off-putting the entire time without ever going you know it's definitely r-rated though at the same time Hmm. (sighs) all right uh well let's uh let's veer (laughs) towards uh happier happier uh ground um the Lego movie. Yeah. Everything is awesome. <laughs> everything is great when you're part of a team. It's, it's just, you, we, sorry, you just do a hard cut to that. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I did want to talk to you about this movie because um, I think I loved it. And I think you, I think you mentioned before that you liked it, and but that your wife had a different response to it. Yeah, okay, so this is really interesting. Um, so I grew up like. I was the Lego kid, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if there was a toy that I <laughs> loved, like the Western ever. Sorry, <laughs> didn't that happen in this movie? That's um, the kid. <laughs> no, but like, like that was that was what I the the. To- I mean, I had other toys, and I loved you know my my Hot Wheels cars, and mm-hmm. but you could have taken all of that away as long as I had Legos, right? Like Legos were the toy of my childhood mm-hmm. and uh, i mean i had you know uh, for for my birthdays uh my best friend would come over and bring his giant bins of legos and we'd pull out all of my giant bins of legos my brother's giant bins of legos and we would set up sets all over the house and we would you know he would stay yeah. for overnight or for a couple of days and like we would just have lego yeah. across that i mean like this was this was what i chose to do for birthdays it was what i chose to, you yeah. know this was this was how i played as a child was was lego um so so everything about this movie felt very authentic i would yeah. say to me other than it's not how i played with legos right so there was a disconnect for me because as soon as it started and as soon as things got going i was like oh well obviously 
this is the twist. Like I knew the twist on the story, like without having yeah. read about the twist on the story, yeah, I, I got it. Like as soon as the movie started, it's like, well, obviously this is what is happening. And so the only disconnect I had was like, he's playing with them wrong. <laughs> right. So, so that oh, was, you mean, do you mean like the, like the mixing of the, the genres and all of that? No. Cause I did that, but it, it, it was more like just the, the, the way the storytelling happened and, and stuff. It's just not how, how I told my Lego stories. Yeah. And it's not the way I would have made characters interact with each other. And so like, it was just, it was interesting. And it was like watching another kid play with your toy wrong <laughs> for me, but that's not necessarily bad. And like, right, right. so, but th- that was kind of my only kind of cognitive dissonance with the movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. For my wife, she maybe played with Legos at a couple of friends' houses a couple of times. They were never her Legos. Yeah. And she's always liked Legos, but never had them to play with. So she doesn't have any connection mm-hmm. to how you play with a Lego. Like, when you can spend your time focusing on playing with a Lego, right? Like, right. right? So she has none of that. And so the movie for her was a complete disconnect. Mm-hmm. like across the board. And so she was she was bored by it, I would say, mm-hmm. or frustrated by it within minutes of it starting. That's funny. And uh, and so and so like uh, she, you know, she made it through the movie. It, it was okay. But at the end of it, like we had a, a long discussion about this. And I I think the um the upshot of it was that she just doesn't have a connection to Legos. Mm-hmm. Um and so watching someone basically have a big Lego game at this point in her life mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense or make it, it's just not that interesting to her. And so that's that, what, and that's what the movie is, is it's a giant Lego game basically. Right. The, 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 when you told me that I, I was kind of befuddled by that a little bit um, because I felt like the movie was, funny enough like with its own comedy with its own everything else going on that you could still connect to the characters or at least connect to the comedy that was being told because you didn't have to know how hard it was to separate two tiny lego bricks to get the jokes mm-hmm. the jokes were very broad were very um pop culture-y if you even at times mm-hmm. um so that was, that was very interesting um yeah i i i really we really enjoyed it um it, this is i know we're talking about a movie i've it's been over a month ago now at yeah. this point that it was in theaters and we got to see it. Um, but it was one of those movies that it just really energized me in the same way. Like, he didn't play with Legos the same way I did, basically. And for me, the disconnect was when he started bringing in real life objects. Mm-hmm. Like it, when you would, when you noticed Morgan Freeman's character was carrying around a chewed up lollipop, and when a, a Q-tip showed up, I was like, no, no, Why no, you, no. This is not no. what you do. Yeah, like this, this, this is all wrong. When when somebody's face gets wiped off with nail polish, I was like, no, nope, no, nope, you would nope. never do that. <laughs> Although, it's like th- those things, those were the things that stood out to me the most because I yeah. definitely had like when I played with Legos, it was like, oh, I'm going to do a medieval story, and so I'd do like a Robin Hood, I'd create my castles and tell my stories, and then I'd be like, oh, I want to play with my space Legos, mm-hmm. I'll do a time travel story. That's how this will work, and I would definitely have those combinations. But um, and there were times I would build Lego buildings for my gi joes or for my other figures but those times were more rare and so the only disconnect i had as a lego enthusiast was when you would start seeing things that were not legos interacting with the legos i'm like this is wrong yeah the the other thing i would say about the movie 
um, is that there is a, also a slight. Uh, it, it balances this pretty well, but it, it is a little. It was a little frustrating to me somehow. Um, there's kind of a disconnect between the um, the concept of like buy all our playsets and toys, and like don't follow the rules, which is kind of. I, I think that's kind of the the main theme of the movie is like don't follow the rules that we give you. Don't you mm-hmm. know? It's it's there to use your imagination. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because it it kind of feels like the movie is dictating like a, a specific play style for Legos, right? And yet at the same time, I think that was that's probably where I disconnected from the movie the most is kind of like you were saying because I actually got my most enjoyment out of Legos not by building new things out of the pieces that already existed, but mm. actually by building the set because it was actually like the specific set that I wanted. You bought this castle. I bought you this castle. castle. And then now I have that castle and I can incorporate that into my world mm-hmm. that I'm creating around everything. And and I think that was kind of the that was what the father at the end was doing. Right. In a way. Like and I don't think that's what they were really trying to say, but at the same time it's it is kind of an ultimate message that comes out of the movie because I think what they were really trying to say with the father was like it's a thing to be shared and to yeah. which I do agree no, with. No, but that there message. there is a bit of a mixed message mm-hmm. in the movie that even I at the end of it I felt was kind of uh is discordant the word I'm looking for? Where like you have the theme song at the beginning where it's uh-huh. like everything is awesome, everything you know, and it's like but it is the song everybody sings and so Without getting too crazy here, it, it's very um, communist, yeah, to an extent where you kind of feel like, oh, this is what the story is about him breaking out of the hive mind and becoming his own individual. But by the end of the movie, that song is like the main celebration song too. Mm-hmm. So it's weird to me that like it's it, like, the, and I love the song. It's very catchy. It's been on my iPhone ever since the, <laughs> the movie came out. Everything like, is I, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, like I have the I have that song and the um I have that song. I have the acoustic version from the soundtrack and then a band called Kirby Crackle did their own version of it where they listed all their favorite awesome things, which included True Detective and Doctor Who and Nice. Those are awesome, you know. So I was like, I love the song. That being said, like it has this weird undercurrent to it that doesn't quite mesh with like be an individual oh. because it's awesome when you're part of a team mm-hmm. but be an individual on that team mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's weird like, i'm not sure if it completely yeah it's came like together. it's like be an individual everything is awesome buy all our play sets and toys but <laughs> but be an individual while buying the mass marketed commercial thing. <laughs> right. like there's just kind of a weird a weird thing somewhere at the center of it it's not it's not bad. It's just no, there, there was kind of that that weird discord that, of it because all. Because that me. being said, out of all the toys you could be buying your children, whether whether you buy the the licensed Legos or the ones that are more generic, there's maybe no better toy out there that is going to encourage an individual play style yeah. or your own storytelling. Because you buy you buy the castle, it doesn't come with a prescribed story. You, you get these characters, and they don't. The yeah. characters are who you make them. Even if you buy the licensed ones, and you get like you get the Batman figure and you get the Spider Man figure, you have those guys. But now they're standing next to the knight, mm-hmm. and it becomes what, its own story. What story is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like there's still that. And so like when I saw some of the reviews that were, I felt like were overly cynical about that 90 minute Lego commercial. I was like. I think no, I mean yes, but no. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I think the best thing I can say about it is like this movie is coming out. What sixty, seventy years since after the first Lego bricks, something like that. I, yeah, I think at this point, 
I think we can say that Legos are okay, whether <laughs> right. this movie exists or not, kind of. Yeah. And like, I don't know that they really need the, because I think kids connect with Legos whether there's this movie yeah. or not. Oh, absolutely. So, does it probably help sell some more Lego sets? And can they have official movie tie-in Lego sets? Sure, they can. I love I love seeing those. I, I, I have bought a set. Yeah, um, but it's like it's like it's Lego the movie, the Lego set. It's like, and there's also what? Lego the movie, the video game. Yeah, and and it's <laughs> at the same time like it's Lego, and I'm okay with it somehow. Oh, like I, like I, the end of the day, it all kind of washes out, and it's okay. And I liked the movie ultimately. Mm-hmm. It just there were a couple of those kind of things that that. You know, when if you yeah. think a little harder about it than just enjoying it as a movie, that you can kind of get sucked down some rabbit holes. Right. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's two more things I would like to touch on yeah. um, here. One is the uh, the Kickstarter success story of Veronica Mars. Um, I was a big fan of the show when it was on television. Um, I think I came in a little late. I came in like it's second season. So I ended up watching the first two seasons on DVD, then watched the third uh, live. Um, and it went away. And just like Firefly, it's like, you don't expect it to come back. You just kind of, you have those fans, you have those people who are like, they should never have canceled. You're like, I, we all agree, but there maybe I'm getting to the point. Maybe I'm just becoming a cynical old man that maybe we should just kind of move on and just kind of go, Hey, we all liked Firefly and Serenity. It's great. Um, I'm not saying it's not, but let's be honest. <laughs> you know, let's 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 find other cool things to celebrate. Um, yeah, that's all fine until you get to Deadwood. Right, <laughs> right. But so, but <laughs> no, so then all of a sudden, I, I hear one day that uh, Rob Thomas, not of Matchbox Twenty, but of Veronica Mars, is uh, going to try to make a movie, and he's going to try to kickstart the thing. Um, and so I immediately, I, I was a backer, and I, uh, I gave them my money. So I was like, yeah, if you can make a Kickstarter movie, do it. I'll help. This probably won't happen. And they funded their movie like in less than 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, the movie finally comes out, um, and it's not playing anywhere in Chattanooga, uh, which is very frustrating. I think the closest, um, I think it has finally opened up. There's a showing, I think, in Knoxville. Um, I think there was a showing down somewhere in Atlanta. But... Um, is a two or three hour drive really pretty much either way um, but the nice thing was because I was a backer I got a digital copy of it on Flickster so I was able to sit here in, in the comfort of my own office and watch it and the good news is it's a good movie it's a really solid movie I don't know how many movie, how many people are going to watch it that weren't fans of the of the show I don't know if it's the kind of movie um, again and if you're not a fan of the show if you haven't watched the first three seasons I don't know how much there is. I, now I'm saying this as a fan. I don't know how a non-fan would take it because and, and there's. This, and this was my, actually my question about it because yeah. I I didn't watch the show. It's a standalone story, mm-hmm. and it's it's a very kind of tried and true film noirish kind of story where you have the detective who wants to get out of the business and then gets pulled back in for personal reasons when a crime takes place, and so she goes back to Neptune, which is the southern california town she's from and gets you know involved in a in a mystery and it's it's a good mystery and it's that it's a good story i think the only real problem anybody might have with the film is that there are characters who show up and for the most part they do a really good job i would say of kind of reintroducing them but there are also those characters who show up that you just kind of need to know who they are because you might not get the joke or you might not understand why this character is sidelining the story for the next 30 40 seconds so we can get back into it there is some of that um but it's good 
I mean, it, it's it's kind of it's a small film, and there's times that it kind of feels like a TV special, just because of some of the locations I think where they filmed. Um, it feels a little small sometimes. That being said, it's a remarkable thing that they did. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I mean, and so I'm not really sure who this review is for. <laughs> so I, I, any fan of the of the show has probably seen the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, definitely find a way to see it. Whether you are able to rent it somewhere, I don't know if it's coming to Redbox or anything like that. Check it out; it's definitely good for those of you who uh, who heard about Veronica Mars through the Kickstarter. Um, I would still recommend it uh, because my wife, her introduction to Firefly was when the movie Serenity came out. She had no idea who these characters were, and I was like, "I like this show. They made a movie. Let's go check it out." She fell in love with it, and had I known the events of Serenity, I may not have shown her that first, but um, it has made her also a lifelong Firefly fan. So. This is a really easy way to get into those char- these characters, and if you want to know their backstory, those, the, the television show is very easily accessible through Netflix, or um, I think you can actually stream it now on Amazon Prime. Hmm. Um, but it's a very digestible two-hour murder mystery that is uh, it's very good, I would say. Um, not the best as when it comes to detective-type movies, if you like that, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and I kind of, I don't know, I don't want to get my hopes up um, but they, the way they end the movie is definitely with the the room for more stories. Um, and she's a fun character. She's a, a Veronica Mars is a great uh, character and a, I think, a pretty positive female kind of role model for uh, the kids um, to, you know, I don't know. I liked it. Cool. Um, I know there was a little controversy about the Kickstarter there towards the end with the release and everything. Did did any yeah. of that impact you? I, I, I'm not even sure. I know everything about it, so I, I don't think, even know if it's I worth the, bringing that up. But I think the big the, the controversy, as far as I understand it, was that um, it there there came word that the movie, if you're getting the digital copy of the movie, you could only access it through Flickster, which is not a a. It's not a website or a service that I use frequently. I think I have two or three movies on, quote-unquote, on Flickster that I own um, because I've gotten digital copies and buying DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, and I think that disappointed some people because they, when they hear digital copy, I think everybody immediately thinks they're going to get the digital copy through the service they use, whether that's iTunes or Hulu or um, what's that one, Vudu or whatever the different ones are that are out there. Um, and so suddenly finding out that the only way they're going to be able to access this film to help fund is through a service possibly that they're not using, I think rubbed some people the wrong way. It didn't really bother me. I I plan on owning it so I can put it next. I I plan on owning a physical copy so that I can put it next to my physical copy of the three seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So that didn't, that didn't affect me. I didn't, I didn't really care. I, I was, I was just really happy. He was giving me a digital copy, you know, honestly, because I helped fund a movie and it was going to, it was going to kind of bum me out if I wasn't going to be able to see it until it came out on DVD and Blu-ray, considering it went to film festivals and it was showing in theaters. And I just couldn't really imagine myself being able to put together a weekend <laughs> and convince my wife to go see a movie for a show she never watched. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. I was just curious. I didn't. Yeah. That, I get... That's my understanding of it. If there was anything else going on, I was, I don't know about it. And it, so it didn't bother me. Cool. What was the other thing you wanted to cover here? You said there was one other thing. Yeah. Um, one hour ago, I got out of Captain America, the winter soldier. Ah, um, so yes. very, very current. Excellent. Very we're, current. Came out today. We're, we're catching uh, up with the movies. <laughs> Great. With the zeitgeist. Um, man, this was a fun movie. It was a super, super fun movie. Um, I'm trying to think if I actually want to say this. 
I think I do. I think it's the best Marvel movie yet. Oh. Um, it is really good. Um, Captain America is, is a character I did not expect to get good movies. I didn't expect to enjoy the movies uh, because I kind of... Captain America and Thor, I've always thought were kind of lame characters like in the comics. Um, there have been really good stories. Ed Brubaker wrote some really great... Um, um, this really amazing... He, I think he's still writing Captain America, but he's been a phenomenal writer. But that being said, when you look at a guy dressed like an American flag running around throwing his shield at people, you're just like, <laughs> no, this is not going to work. And the first Captain America movie was really fun. And I was like, oh. It, and I got excited about it because it was directed by the guy who directed The Rocketeer. And I found out it was going to be a 1940s action flick just like The Rocketeer. I was like, well, if there's somebody who can make a good Captain America movie, it's going to be the guy who did The Rocketeer. Um and it was good. It was, you know, it, it's not my the first Captain America is not my favorite of the uh, Marvel movies, but it's it's definitely one of them. Uh, <laughs> it's and it's, it's even high up there. I, I I revisited it and it's actually better than I remember it. Um, that being said, this movie, or right, so if the first movie was a kind of a 1940s uh, pulpy action film, um, this movie is a 1970s political thriller. Um, it's com- almost completely different while still being um, the perfect continuation of this character's story. He's a man, you know, unfrozen in time. He's, you know, he was born in the 30s and now he's living in 2014 and he has to figure out how to navigate that. And he finds himself in the middle of a very big political system and he's not really happy or confident in that political system, especially once he starts seeing some of the decisions um, the politicians are making. Um, It's very hard not to watch this movie, and when you see the machinations that are in place, um, it's very hard not to think about the drone strikes and the the, the terrorist kill lists that we hear exist. And when you know that there are people that we are we as a government or as a country are very comfortable killing people to prevent crime. Um, we're getting to that place, and that raises all sorts of ethical questions. And Captain America is really a great character to ask those questions. Um, he spends most of the time in the movie as Steve Rogers, um, not as, you know, the guy dressed like an American flag. Um, and so, it, he, you know, because he, he represents the, a, a pure form of politics, if you will, from the 40s. Not to say we need to go back to that. And he even goes, I, I love this world I live in now. I just have these questions because he kind of sees things a little bit more black and white. Um, but that, that being said, it's not a political movie. That's just kind of the backdrop for some of the best action sequences and fight choreographs um, choreography I've seen in a long time. Uh, it made me think of like some of the car chase. There's car chases in this that made me remind, uh, reminded me of the French Connection. There's stuff in here. Um, it's just a really solid film. I don't know if it's the, this is the movie that will make somebody like superhero films. It doesn't really feel like a superhero film, except the people. You know, there's that there is that slightly over the top nature of it because there's flying um you know aircraft carriers and men dressed like american flags yeah so uh <laughs> so let me ask you because I, I am kind of that uh, proverbial yeah. uh not big on the superhero thing yeah. right now um for me is this would this be a good place to step into the series do you need to see the first movie they get you right up they get okay. you up real quick um anything you need to know they will let you know kind of in the movie um there is, I mean, there's, 
the, the first movie is on Netflix streaming at this point, and so it's like it's a fun movie. Check it out. Um, that being said, no, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to have seen the first movie to really understand anything. Um, there's nothing you're going to be like now. What? <laughs> it, 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 they do it. They do it really, really well. Actually, there's um, several there's several sequences early on that that basically recap the story from the first one, but they fit it into the story narrative in such a way you don't feel like you're watching the first movie a second time if you have already seen the first movie. Um, to me, it honestly would be a really great place just to jump in and be like, let's check out this Captain America movie. And if you like it, go back and watch the first one because there's definitely a couple of characters in this movie um, that you'll appreciate more if you've seen the first movie. Um, but no, you don't have to see. You don't have to see in the first movie. You don't have to have seen the Avengers. Um, it's just the next element. It's the next story in this very large unfolding Marvel universe that they're creating. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, who plan on going to see it, there are two bonus things after the credits. Anybody who does not know that, I don't understand. I don't understand people anymore. But when I'm sitting <laughs> in a Marvel movie and I see everybody get up and leave as soon as the movie ends, I'm like, I guess you don't want. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a there's a scene halfway through the credits, and then there's a scene after the credits that tease uh, the next story in the Marvel universe. Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything about those. But um, for those of us looking forward to the next Avengers movie, it's all very exciting. <laughs> very. Cool. But yeah, uh, it's great. Cap- uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and it also features a lot more of the Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson does. She's basically the co-star of this movie. Robert Redford is in it and is great. Um, the introduction of um, Sam Wilson's character, um, sorry, Sam Wilson, which is Anthony Mackie's character, is a lot of fun. There's just a lot going on in this, and Danny Pudi has a cameo, so there's really zero reasons you shouldn't see this. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, well, uh, the other movie that has come out here in the last couple of weeks is The Muppets Most Wanted. Oh, you're saying it's time to play the music. I'm saying it's time to play the music and to it's dress up. Uh, yep. Yep, it's uh, put on some makeup. I'll wow. stop now. <laughs> will you? Will you really? No. <laughs> Just it's time to dress up right. Yes. All right. I agree. Uh, anyhow, so that. that <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, uh, yes, the uh, Muppets Most Wanted has come out, and. I'm not actually sure you you haven't seen it yet because you you and Kelly need to go see it together. This is, is kind yeah, of the, uh, yes. the thing. So rather than spoiling it, here's here's all I'm going to say about this movie. I really enjoyed it. So did Brandy. So did all of the friends' kids who we showed up to the same showing that they were at, mm-hmm. um, and our friends who were there that randomly showed up in the same one. Like, they all... Like, everybody across age and, like, loved this movie. It, it was... It's a movie, I think, that, that works for everyone. And... Awesome. Um, I love hearing that. I've been listening to the soundtrack. I mean, I, yeah. do, ha- I do own the soundtrack already. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and Brandy... Brandy's comment was like, oh, it feels like... It feels more like a Muppet movie than the last one did. She's like, cool. this one feels... Like, it's back to the actual Muppets. Right. Which and, is kind of what we had said after the last one. was yep. like, hopefully this means we can get Muppet movies. Yeah. And and that's exactly what this... Like, to me, it feels like... Maybe even... It, like, it, it feels more like a throwback to, like, the Great Muppet Caper or the Muppet movie 
or mm-hmm. or somewhere like with that combined with like the actual Muppet Show. Yeah. So I highly recommend it. If you like Muppets, go see Muppets Most Wanted. But that brings us to our larger segment here, where where we are going to talk about Muppets with multiple exclamation marks. Muppet mania. Muppet yes. mania here. Okay, because uh, here's here's kind of the thing is. Scott and I love movies. Yes. To me, personally, uh, and I, you know, you can answer this on your own, but to me, this may be my most beloved franchise at this mm. point of characters, like stable of characters, and as far as movies go, I'm not. I don't want to extend out beyond that, but like, sure. But like in in like filmed media, so maybe movies and television combined. Kind sure. Of, I would say that the Muppets hold like the warmest place in my heart as far as like a stable of characters man i i can't disagree with that i never would have thought of it in that way necessarily um but as soon as i see a muppet shirt on somebody um i know they're a friend as soon as we start talking about the muppets somebody mentions the muppets i get this really wonderful warm feeling inside me that nothing else really does i mean i see someone wearing a superman shirt i'm like hey that's cool Mm -hmm. you know but Somebody who appreciates Gonzo or Kermit the way I do, or they, you know, they laugh at Fozzie's jokes. Okay, yeah, uh, uh, to, <laughs> we're, to, we're solid friends yeah, now. To, to me, the Muppets are kind of that that great equalizer. That that like this is, and, and I think there's kind of a, well, I mean, we can we can get into some of this, but to me, a lot of it goes back to Jim Henson and kind of the purity yeah. of of comedy and and goodness that he brought to it all. I so think how do you want to? Yeah, yeah how, do but, go, how do you want to go about this? Yeah, uh, yeah. We didn't really talk about that before we started going. We just we just knew like you know we want to talk about like we all the Muppet about- movies, all the you know the Creature Shop, the television. Like we want to talk about it, maybe kind of rank some of it and talk about and what, maybe explain it even because I think I think it, yeah. we are at a place now where it's very easy for you to have missed the Muppets. Yeah, um, because they haven't been on television. They haven't. They've had some movies and then they, the movies have kind of gone away and now they're back again. Um, I, well, let's, let's start with Jim Henson. Cause I think what kind of inspired this podcast was the fact that we both coincidentally were reading his biography at the same time. Like we both somehow discovered it on our own um, on audible. At least that's where I found mine. Yep. Um, I went, Oh, there's a Jim Henson biography. Uh, I listened to a sample of it and it was like download. Um, and it's the mo- one of the most remarkable biographies I've ever read. There's it, it's right up there. Like I really enjoyed the Steve Jobs biography that came out. Uh, I think by Isaac Wall. Is it somebody? Um, anyway, the Steve Jobs biography is is astounding. And then this, I read this, and I, I couldn't stop listening yeah. to it. It's just like it. <sighs> I think the big difference is like like. I, I really liked the Steve Jobs biography, mm-hmm. and I connected with it and was very mm-hmm. interested in his life and everything. I cried in the Jim Henson yeah. biography. Like, the, yeah, like, Steve Jobs like, I got choked up a little bit in the in the Steve, but like just going through the Jim Henson biography, and it's like, and almost, like, it's yeah. almost constantly a moving experience, yeah. even when they. Even when they get into some of his foibles, even when they kind of expose some of the warts, you're still like, well, yeah, because he was a human being, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's like, and, but then it, it keeps going, and you're just the Jim Henson was a person who set out. He ne- he never really saw himself as a puppeteer, which is what's really astounding about Jim Henson. He didn't see himself as somebody. He didn't want to do children's entertainment. He was just kind of interested in 
he got interested in puppets. Yeah, you he, know? he was interested, I think, in creativity and doing things yeah. in new ways and finding and interesting then, and fun ways of working together with people. That, he was a constant explorer yeah. of different mediums. Yeah, and when when situations would arise when somebody was like, "We want you to make a television show," "We want you to make a movie," he always seemed to say, "Okay, here's the." He, this is this is me projecting, but he seemed to um, sit down and go, "What's the best thing we can do?" Um, it's going to be funny because Jim Henson was just a naturally comedic person, but he always also seemed to want to leave the world a little bit better of a place. And so there was always that extra little heart mm-hmm. put into these things, whether it's the Muppets and their and Kermit's almost eternal optimism and hope, or it was a actual life lesson. But he never really wanted to get too preachy because he had his own beliefs and respected everybody else else's beliefs, and so he wanted to uh, just further. I think, yeah, I think it was just kind of a general like, let's make the world a little bit better, like yeah. leave it a better place than we found it. I yeah. think that was kind of his, you know, whatever he, uh, whatever his his religious beliefs or or whatever. Like I think that was just kind of his point of exactly the projects he was making. Like let's just make everything, and sometimes that can be as simple as just making people smile. Yeah. And sometimes it can be a little bit more than that. You know, maybe we can take it to Sesame Street levels and educate people a little bit. Or, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can take it to Fraggle Rock and talk about, you know, coexisting and and mm-hmm. other, you know, sort of things. He, he always had kind of maybe a little something that he wanted to make the world a little bit better with. But mm-hmm. but it was always in the form of entertainment. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was an entertainer kind of first, yeah. you know. Um, and so, reading this biography, you're really able to get inside his mind. And you're, I was, I'm able to appreciate, I've watched all the Muppet movies now, over again, since uh, reading the yeah. biography. Because you learn so much about the way he thought and the way he approached things. And it really makes you appreciate things from the design to the storytelling to everything. It's just like, like he, he was constantly um, fascinated by... Um, this extra world just outside of our out of our mm-hmm. out of our vision, and so that's where something like Fraggle Rock comes from. Because like, oh yes, we all have this world, but beyond this world is that world, and even in that world, there's two worlds, and in that you know, it, and it just kind of keeps on going and multiplying, and you see that, and then when you realize that, you see that in almost all of his films. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I, I I don't know, I just I I very much resonate. Like anytime something that Jim Henson touched like you can you can see it like there's mm-hmm. a there's a certain aesthetic to it maybe a little bit mm-hmm. and there's also that heart to it somehow and that mm-hmm. that mindset behind it and it's just something that I really personally resonate with yeah um so yeah uh, for for my money like I'll I'll put up most of the Muppet productions yeah in in their various forms even the really flawed ones uh, yeah. At, at least, at least from the Jim Henson era, up against just about anything, as some of my favorite, uh, and and put together when you when you combine it all into one, it's it's probably one of my favorite bodies of work mm-hmm. from a filmmaker, from a you know creative artist of any sort. Yeah, it's fascinating because he Jim Henson started off making commercials. He was yep. like hired to make commercials, and so he was using these uh, little puppets he created, and those puppets. I mean, if, if they're great. If you can find them... Uh, you, they're, yeah, they're on YouTube. Go on YouTube, stuff. because you'll recognize the voices almost immediately. And even if you can't hear it, you would recognize them as Muppets, um, far before they were ever called Muppets. Um, but they went from being like 
some of these characters and some of these ideas he was using um, from TV commercials to an actual TV show that didn't really go anywhere to things like The Muppet Show, which would then go on to spawn the movies. And then at the same time, he's getting pulled over because I kind of always associated him with this, with Sesame Street. Um, but he wasn't the brain behind Sesame Street. Really. No, but at the same time... The Children's he, Television Workshop yeah. was. And at and the they, same time, it's a partnership. It's not a straight... Right. And and without the Muppets, you know, Sesame Street would have gone off the air oh, and, you know, and, it, and within years. Of, one you know, of the most wonderful of things that I discovered reading this book is that he has always made sure that any kind of acquisition of the Muppets, any kind of selling of the Muppets would never include... Sesame the characters Street. from the set from Sesame Street. So even today, when you go and buy a Big Bird stuffed animal, the mu- there is a portion of that money going back to the Children's Television Workshop to help continue making Sesame Street and other programming. Yeah, because I, I believe um, they have what a fifty-fifty split on. I don't remember exactly. It's what something it was like that. Book, but it's, yeah, you know, they have a very equitable agreement that has stood right. up since the since the very beginning. They were very careful to structure everything. And uh, he, that's, that's one of the cool things. Is like He seems like he was fairly smart about business as well mm-hmm. as being creative. Very thoughtful. So even yeah. when he, he was trying to sell the Muppets to Disney, um, like in the 80s, he was meeting with Michael Eisner. And um, the several times the negotiations would fall through because Michael would be like, and we're about Big Bird. You know, and he's like, well, that's and James, a like, Sesame not on the table. He's, you know, Big Bird, uh, Bird and Ernie, those stuff, not on the, they're not on the table. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't talk about them. We're here to talk about the frog and the mouse. Yeah. That is it. Um, and so even now, even with Disney owning, uh, the, the Muppet Studios, mm-hmm. um, Sesame Street is, you know, still Children's Television Workshop. All those characters are still over there. And that, that, ongoing legacy just warms my heart <laughs> you know just knowing that he set that up and he's like this will always be that you know yeah so even if i leave and my my children sell the studio or whatever nobody can ever touch you know that i i love that about him yeah exactly i i think uh i think maybe the the best thing i can say about him is like i think that even his movies and his his legacy and like everything about his life and his body of work it is a sense of present nostalgia for me like at yeah. every moment like like even the first time you see it like from the second you see it it feels nostalgic and like it it's does. and like it's a part Very of something that you've yeah it's it's like the most beautiful melancholy sort of feeling you can have at any given moment and it's it's wonderful like and, and, and watch, that's his legacy of everything when you, when you watch his movies especially the first 3 the muppet movie the great muppet caper and muppet's take manhattan there are shots in there that even as a modern film yeah goer you'll go how did they do that? Well, all, uh, especially the very first Muppet, uh, the Muppet movie. Yeah. Um, the opening sequence. I was thinking about this in the shower the other day. The, the yeah. opening Rainbow Connection sequence. Yeah. Is for my money maybe one of the best filmed, most important movie sequences of all time. Um, yeah. Because like it, it may be like the perfect movie sequence because it's it's technically amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Well, d- d- describe it. Like, yeah. what, what is the okay, show? Well, basically, it starts out like you're in these clouds, and like the the movie titles come on, and you're flying through the clouds, and this, and it basically descends through the clouds down over a swamp into mm-hmm. the swamp, up onto Kermit in the middle of this swamp, playing his uh, ukulele, banjo, or, yeah. banjo, and 
and singing uh, Rainbow Connection. And it's, and it's, it's all one it's shot. It's basically all one shot. I think there's um, a cut between the clouds and the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. There's, but yeah. You, you're up really high. Yeah. And then you go down into the swamp yeah. in one shot. And so, like, when you think about this, it's, 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 it's amazing because it's, it's a technically difficult shot to produce, even if it was just a human sitting there on a log. Yeah. Secondly, it's an effect shot because you have to figure out how to put a person performing a puppet. Yeah, into it's not, a swamp. He's not, he's not animatronic. Yeah. Uh, thirdly, it has one of I think one of cinema's great songs, yeah. like uh, of all time, in the thing, and so it has that combined with it, and it's a great piece of storytelling because it defines Kermit's character up to that point in like two minutes. You you understand everything you need to know about Kermit from that song, from the shot, and everything you need to know about what you're in for for the entire... Like, it's it's a brilliant piece that combines every single element that you need to know about the story, mm-hmm. and it's a creative and challenging and difficult shot. It's, it's everything that's good about filmmaking and about pushing that creative process to tell story and when you read the book and you find out how they do it, yeah. you have more respect for yeah. it. It's, and that's something I do miss sometimes with modern filmmaking is you watch a movie and go, I wonder how they did that. Oh, computers. Um, yeah. you know, it's Which like, is not to diminish what computer not, artists not, can not do. To, but it's, Not at all. It's just like there's just so little mystery at this point. Yeah. So when you watch a movie uh, like the Muppet movie, which came out in the late 70s, uh, you watch that and you go, they didn't have that. So how did they do this? Yeah. And it just it will amaze you. I mean, it, it, it's it's every shot is a special effect. You know, it's like I, like I was just talking about the Captain America movie. And I, halfway through it, I really did kind of give the movie some respect because I feel like the filmmakers, the directors, um, really went out of their way to make you wonder how they made how they did it. They really they don't rely on computer generated imagery, or if they do, they're doing it very cleverly. So that's like you feel like this actor Chris Evans is doing these stunts um, in a very convincing way. It's, it's really remarkable. But you you take that and you go, I don't know if that would exist without the ingenuity of people like Jim Henson from the '70s who are finding ways to pull off uh, Kermit and Piggy riding a bicycle in a wide shot. Yeah, this isn't like a close up where you go, okay. So in the close up, it's it's that, and it's like really long, lingering wide shots of puppets riding bicycles full-bodied what <laughs> yeah and and i mean that's even something with the new the newer movies are coming out you know they, they are combining some computer effects with the puppets and things mm-hmm. to do which i don't really have a problem with but at the same time you know the ingenuity is not exactly this you know uh, yeah. like like how would jim i i'd say how would jim have done this in the set but Jim was horribly fascinated by computers and wanted to, and was using them. And was even using them, time. you know, before it was practical to be using them. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he would be all over visual effects at this point. So, I don't, I don't. This is good. This is going to sound like a slam. Mm-hmm. It's not. I don't think it is. It's not coming from. A, it's not coming from a negative place. But when you read the book and when you start looking at some of his projects, he he and George Lucas, I think, had a lot in common. And even in the book, it describes a friendship between the two of them. Jim would visit the set of The Empire Strikes Back and stuff. Um, and I think George visited the set of The Dark Crystal. It's like they, they had a mutual, uh, at least, respect for each other. Mm-hmm. But there are times, I feel like, when you look at some of the clips of the, tel- the Jim Henson Hour television show, and even in watching The Dark Crystal, I think there are times his vision for... Our, 
for the art or for the, the craft or the technical aspects of it would get in the way of actually telling an interesting story. Well, I, for, for George Lucas, just in his corner, yeah. I, think, I think the difference for me, because I, I agree completely with where you're headed with that, I think the difference between them is that Jim Henson didn't go back in his lifetime, which, you, oh, know, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing he died too early. So, um, you know, he could have easily screwed stuff up later on in his life, mm-hmm. but he didn't have time for that. Um, you know, George Lucas went back and messed with a beloved property. Yeah. Literally changing the original beloved property. Yeah. And then adding pieces that are not as beloved to it. Right. Whereas, I, whereas yeah. Jim Henson, he may have made another Muppet movie, but it was never to replace the previous one. It was never to... Like, right. They're all standalone. His his sandbox... Like I I think he actually got tired of playing in the sa- same sandbox, and he wanted to move to... That's why well, you got your labyrinths yeah. and your dark yeah. crystals. And I think that's maybe the difference between them. Oh, absolutely. And and would, why would, it's and yeah, why it's not a either. and why it's yeah. not a slam to to Jim Henson to say that. Not because, at all. I, I even for George even I think mm-hmm. if you even look at movies like The Phantom Menace, yeah. I feel like his uh, the, the, the what he could pull off mm-hmm. got in the way of actually crafting yeah. a relevant story. Yeah, for, well if you if, know if The Phantom Menace had just been called The Phantom Menace and did not have Star Wars on the front sure. of it, everyone would have heralded it as the most amazing technological breakthrough. And Absolutely. people might have critiqued the story some, but if it had been about, you know, ready knights instead of Jedi knights... <laughs> For sure. Right, you know? Space monks instead Space of... monks instead yeah. of, you know, yeah. like, uh, people wouldn't have had that baggage to bring to it. And I think it would have been... I actually think you're right. If that had been its own thing, I think uh-huh. people were like, that's great, George. Now go make a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Look what you can do now. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, okay, so I had never seen The Dark Crystal. This is where I'm kind of headed with some of this. Sure, yeah. Until after I read the biography. And um, I love Jim Henson. I love the Muppets. The Dark Crystal is a mess. It's, it's a horrible mess. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the most beautiful, horrible the, mess you'll a, ever watch. It's fascinating. There, yeah. like, there, there are creatures that these creatures ride in this movie that i just just stared at like that is amazing like i don't know if that's a person on on stilts or i don't know if that's a dog on stilts that's something on stilts (laughs) you know um that's amazing and the the blending of using uh live actors in makeup is what i'm assuming is going on with some of the the wide shots of the gelflings to close-ups of these really interesting uh puppets is astonishing and it's, it's almost seamless you just you only know it because i think we're in the century that we are and we're looking back at it um but it's man it's like it's really and it's really bizarre because you you're clearly looking at something that was designed by people who created the muppets and so there's a very muppet feel to some of the creatures but there's zero of the humor <laughs> that you that you you're used to seeing and there's some actually ugly creatures in this like they're really just kind of foul skeletal creatures that are almost the things of nightmares and that's the what they're supposed to be but it's it's such it's a such a bizarre it's like the nightmare side of jim henson's brain came up with this versus the the daydreaming side which came up with the muppets Mm -hmm. um to and 
even when you read the book you 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 discover even the process of making the film was kind of a mess where he didn't want to give the the creature's language and so most of the script has been put in in post-production when he had already filmed large sections of the film and he had to hire somebody to not only write a script to tell the story but write a script that matched the puppet's movements and the way their mouths were already making sounds um and so it at the end of it, it's a fascinating film that I would recommend anybody watch for the filmmaking process and for learning and for just to have to have the whole body of work. It's 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 almost something that you have to be willing to experience or to accept that it's an experience versus yeah. versus good. Like it's yeah. it's entirely experiential and not really story. Which or, was which yeah. was a little disappointing because yeah. I read the book and I was like, nah, it can't be that bad. And cause I have friends um, who really like it. Uh, I, someone was like, oh, you're, you're finally going to watch that? Oh, you have to tell me how, what you think of it. I really like that movie. I was like, oh, okay. And I remember there was one night, even when we were in film school, uh, one of um, our friends, Nathan Pizar, got the first DVD copy when it, came in, when it came out. And there was a night when they all watched it at the film school. I didn't, but I remember him being really excited that it was finally out on DVD. They were all going to watch it together. And so in my mind, I've had like this history of people liking it mm-hmm. and uh, i finally sat down to watch it and like kelly bailed on it like 30 minutes in. she was like i'm gonna go read a book and <laughs> I, I don't blame her you know because it, it was it was a kind of a meandering strange story and, and to juxtapose that with the labyrinth which i think actually does hold up really well as and is very unique when you try to compare it to the Muppet yeah. movies yeah it definitely has its flaws but oh yeah but, not, it's not perfect but it's but definitely so uh, so I guess there's kind of like two different sets of movies here, really. You have Muppet movies, which are, uh, like, I think you have to basically define them as like, you know, Kermit and the gang type movies. Sure. And then you have Creature Shop movies, which are the extended world of Jim Henson beyond the Muppets, mm-hmm. right? Like, those are kind of the two different things that you have going on. Um, yeah, things like The Dark Crystal, The Labyrinth, you could even uh, throw uh, Empire Yoda Strikes in back, there, yeah. Empire Strikes Back. Because they created that, and Frank Oz, you know, has supplied the voice always of Yoda, and was, did the did the puppeteering for Yoda in the uh, the original movies. Yeah, um, you know, and the witches. That's another movie I had never seen until recently. Have you seen the witches? I haven't actually. It's on my Netflix list to to get it. Because okay, because I, on- I read the book, and I was like, "What? <laughs> How did I, I miss this one?" I remember this movie. I, it terrified me as a child. Um, and here's the thing. It still scared me as an adult watching it. Hmm. It is a legitimate horror film. Huh. <laughs> it is a horror film for children. If there could ever be such a thing, this is it. Um, it's on Amazon Instant Prime streaming. Um, it's, I don't think it's streaming on Netflix. At least it okay. wasn't when I watched it. Um, I was like, Kelly, you want to watch it? She's like, yeah. That was, they talked about that in the, in the, in the book. Uh, based on a book by Road Dahl, um, who apparently didn't really like the film, but it's a genuinely scary film that has some really remarkable special effects in it. And the special effects are scary, like unpleasant, scary at times. Like there's moments in the movie where you're just like, I don't like what I'm seeing on screen. And that's what, and it, it, it works really, really well. Um, not saying it's the best movie in the world, but, but, but it's like like most of it's I think the extended <laughs> most of the extended Henson world, it's maybe not a great movie, but it's really fascinating. I would imagine, yeah. without having seen it, it is. It is, and um, on Netflix streaming as well. This sounds like a commercial for Netflix. Um, is Dinosaurs, hmm. which holds up remarkably well. 
I mean, we Kelly and I started watching it after we read the book, and it still made it like there. Some of the jokes are a little dated because it came out in the '90s, um, but it's generally just a family sitcom that happens to be about di- that features dinosaur actors. <laughs> well, you know, and jumping to that to that show side of things, like I mean, yeah. the original Muppet Show. I mean, that was the '70s, and it's still. You know, 80, 85, 90% of that show, other than like the really topical, mm-hmm. you know, guest humor, right. like everything about it works. And like even some of that still really works too. Some of, yeah, there are some of those jokes where it's like, do I, I guess I don't know who this person is. Yeah, it's like, I don't <laughs> Maybe know who I you don't are. know his life well enough because yeah. I'm assuming that was a joke pulled from the headlines. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, but um, aside from like the the song numbers and yeah. you know, like like everything works about it. and like I think that's one of the genius things of Jim Henson is like even these older pieces still hold up because because they're not dependent on the gimmick. They're dependent on the actual humor at the heart of it. At the uh, yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of movies today try to be Muppet movies and they don't succeed. Um, and what I mean by that is that when you look at a movie like let's, I'm gonna pick on Shrek, um, a movie I have not revisited in years. I really like the first two Shrek movies. I remember liking them. I don't know if they still hold up, but um, the Muppet movies. What's really remarkable about them, and uh, my example for this is the Great Muppet Caper. Um, that was my favorite of the original Muppet movies growing up. I loved it. I don't know if it's because of the London setting. It, it was I, mine as well. Yeah, it. I love it and. I can quote, I'm pretty sure I could just do the whole movie verbatim. Kelly made me stop. Um, she's <laughs> like, if you're going to keep doing this, we're going to turn it off. I want to, you know, I was like, okay, fine. Um, so, but, okay, so I love that movie as a six-year-old. Watching it as a 30-year-old, there are so many jokes in it that I did not realize were in it. You know, Piggy goes, why are you telling me this? She's like, well, it's plot expo- exposition, dear. It has to go somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I didn't, It's the, it's not, it's it's only a joke if you understand writing, you know. Like if you're a if you're kind of familiar with plot exposition, if you're familiar with that kind of thing. But it's a joke that I heard that I really kind of heard for the first time as a thirty year old, and I laughed out loud. You know, I was just like, "That's absurd," and that's been in this movie this entire time. Okay, so like you, so that's what I mean. Like you rewatch it, and there's these little nuggets that are kind of hidden in there, where I feel like a movie like Shrek goes, "Yeah, we want to do that too." So what we're going to do is we're going to have a fart joke, and then we're going to have a joke that's really inappropriate for kids to understand if they understand it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they tr- they try to throw the jokes in there for for adults, but instead of finding something clever and doing something that just requires a little bit life experience to appreciate that humor, they actually just make a sexual innuendo. And there's like this really kind of uncomfortable moment where the the parent is sitting next to the the kid going, "Did he get that?" It's funny. Or like you're laughing, and then the kid looks at you and is like, what? Was that a joke? Is that funny? Is it funny to say that line? Like, no, that is not funny. Do not say that line. Yeah. Like, it, it's interesting. I feel like Jim Henson or whoever was uh, in working with the screenwriters of those, yeah, of Jerry the show Jewel and of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They, I feel like they were able to find that balance of like really entertaining for kids and adults can come along for the ride too. And it's going to be equally entertaining for yeah. them. Uh, so let's uh, let's just jump to the actual Muppet movies here real quick, because this has been a long podcast. Let's, Fine, let's, we'll talk about the movies. Yeah, but uh, let's just kind of go through and kind of rank them a little bit here. Sure. I think it's maybe, maybe the best thing. So, um, the first Muppet movie, how would you... Like, where are you on that? 
maybe my least favorite of the three. So the the, the, the three, which is the original three. Okay, so growing up, I would have said the Muppets Take Manhattan is would have been my least favorite. It, it never clicked with me, mm-hmm. but I've watched it twice now in the past two or three years, and I have found it to be a remarkably fun and charming film that I ne- I didn't give enough credit. So I don't know if it, I don't know if it gear if it skews slightly more adult because it's about people graduating from college and looking for jobs and what do you do with all of that and it's about saying goodbye and mm-hmm. maybe it so maybe it's it maybe it skews more adult um but i've really enjoyed muppets take manhattan more than when i was a kid mm-hmm. when I, I just was like this is boring um so net right now the muppet movie to me is maybe my least favorite just due to the lack of connectivity in all of the what goes on that being said it has maybe the best soundtrack it has some of the best cameos steve martin it shows <laughs> up as a way <laughs> as maybe and maybe the best Steve Martin ever has ever been in that scene and Ralph that 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 whole dinner scene with Ralph and Kermit is one of my favorite scenes um but then it has a lot of real just kind of misfires for me as well where I like the whole Doc Hopper thing doesn't do anything for me anymore so I still love it but of the three it's probably my least favorite so what order would you put them in for you okay. today great Muppet caper is number one mm-hmm. um always has been in rewatching it i love this it is the perfect blend of just like caper movie of ro- romantic comedy and muppet movie where the, it has the, the best fourth wall breaking jokes it has just this is when, when i look at a muppet movie i think of the great muppet caper and how does it compare to the great muppet caper is it does it compare to the great muppet caper is it better or worse than, well it's going to be worse than it can't be better than mm-hmm. but you know so for me it's great muppet caper Muppets Take Manhattan, and then the Muppet Movie. Yeah, I'm probably similar to that. Uh, you know, I think the Muppet Movie has, like, if you take it as bits and pieces, it has probably the best pieces. Yes. Out of any of them, like the opening sequence, and there's like little moments in between it. Um, you know, the whole uh, moving right along song yeah. sequence, like that's just, you know, there's a fork in the road and stuff. Like, all of that is, like, it's some of my favorite stuff out of all of the movies. I think Muppet Caper probably holds together for me as a solid movie a little bit better than the Muppet movie. It has a real strong Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 structure. I think it has the most cohesive story. Yeah, And then uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, I think, also is kind of has that, like you were saying, it's it's a little darker maybe in some ways, like a little Mm. more adult, but in a way that I like. I think that's that Frank Oz influence in it. I think so, too. and, And I really connect with that. So, you know, I'd probably put it in the Muppet movie kind of similarly for me because they kind of diverge in different ways and there's things I like and dislike. But I think Great Muppet Caper. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, so there's a middle section here. Yeah. Um, So Jim Henson tragically died um, in, in, uh, what was it, 91, I believe? Something like that, 90, 91, somewhere around Yeah, The Witches was the last movie he was involved with as a movie at all. Yeah. Um, At that time, Muppet's Take Manhattan was the last movie. There was a fourth Muppet movie that was planned. The cheapest movie? Yeah, the the cheapest Muppet movie ever? The cheapest Muppet movie ever. And when you hear it described in the book... I would love to to watch it. Yes. You need to read this book just for the section detailing the fourth never-made Muppet movie. Because it is like the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. And part of me is really heartbroken that they never went back to that idea when they decided to continue making Muppet movies. So yes, so they... So there's that break after uh, the Muppets take Manhattan, and where does that take? Is that 
So the, the middle section, are you talking yeah. about it's, the, it's, it the adaptations, like, basically? Yes, it's basically, once Jim Henson died, there was kind of this period where um, they did uh, adaptations. There were only really two of them. It was the uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island. And then a couple of years later, a few years later, they did Muppets from Space, which isn't an adaptation, but it's I still kind of lump it into that, that sequence. It's from that same period or that mm-hmm. same time um muppets from space is interesting to me because it was it felt like a return to let's try to make a muppet movie yeah um no i completely agree I, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, i'm trying to i'm just, sorry the the pause there was me trying to collect my thoughts <laughs> on it because for me muppets from space is probably the weakest of those of those three i, I think easily the weakest of the three um it it has some interesting. There has some really good things in it. I love I love that it's finally a Gonzo centric. Gonzo's my favorite character of the of the Muppet Brigade. Um, Kermit almost doesn't count because he's perfect, but Gonzo is my favorite go to character. And so Muppets from Space finally being a movie kind of exploring who uh, Gonzo is, where he comes from. Um, I really appreciated that. That being said, I felt like there was a lot of. It just doesn't quite connect with me. Yeah, I. Um, no, I, I agree. It's it's. Um, I really feel like they were trying to get back to that Muppet root, but it it, it was kind of a misfire that still has some charm. Yes. So that leaves us with Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island, two movies I almost refuse to compare because if you were to if yeah, you if, were to ask me which one's my favorite, I'm going to tell you Muppet Treasure Island. I love Muppet Treasure Island, hmm. but if you ask me which of these movies have you seen the most. It's Muppet Christmas Carol, yeah. because we watch that at least twice a year. Because we'll watch it. It'll be like what heralds the Christmas season beginning is Muppet Christmas Carol. And then we'll probably watch it at a friend's house or at a party, or just because we want to on Christmas Eve. Um, and I love Muppet Christmas Carol, and it's definitely a movie that has grown on me. When I first saw it, it didn't... I kind of was like, okay, that's fine. But the more, like, the more I've watched it, um, Kelly and I agree, it is our favorite Christmas Carol adaptation. It, I, I agree. And it may actually be my favorite of the Muppet movies, of mm-hmm. all of them, <laughs> um, potentially. It's, I think it's probably one of the best written that they have. I think, it, mm-hmm. I think it does a really fantastic job of being both a Muppet movie, like it, it is about muppets yeah. and stuff so like you get all of the characters in it and it's it's really good and at the same time having a really solid story it's it's it's, it's kind of that extended thing of like the muppets going let's put on a show which they're always doing yeah and it's like them doing it to like the best of their ability and what's remarkable about it is that you have kermit the frog playing bob cratchit but he's very kermit it's like yeah the way kermit it's it's almost like we're watching a Muppet period film, the way he acts and the way all the characters act is the way you expect them to act in a Muppet movie while completely facilitating the Christmas Carol story. Like a Christmas Carol is like the perfect story to use these characters in because they're able to be themselves while being other people. And and I think my issue with Muppet Treasure Island, which I also love, so I don't want to sound like I I don't um, because I I like it a lot. Um, But I think the the issue that I have with it is that it is more kind of a let's put a framework of this story around the Muppets and just let them be kind of wacky and crazy, mm-hmm. which is fun and I thoroughly enjoy it. But it's a uh, Muppet Christmas Carol has a much tighter focus on like let's tell this story and let's truly incorporate the Muppet characters into the story. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love it so much. Yeah. And why Muppet Treasure Island is good, but isn't quite, to me, at that same place as Christmas It Carol. doesn't... It's a lot of fun, but it doesn't quite have the heart yeah. that the previous Muppet films have had as well. You yeah. know, Kermit shows up and he's playing... Uh, Captain Smalley. Yeah, Smalley. Small, yeah. Sorry. Um, and uh, it's a good character. and It's great, but he doesn't represent... He's he's like, not as Kermity in it somehow. Right. He's he's playing a character. It's Kermit playing a part, which is fine. But it's yeah, it doesn't quite have that. So um, then we move into the dark times. Um, oh. Is basically what I call it here. Oh. I have not seen Kermit's Swamp Years. Um, I see it at McKay. It comes in every once in a while, and I've been tempted to watch it, but I just never have. Um, for, so I can't really speak to that. It, um, then there there was a couple it's, Christmas. It's, it's movies fairly, it's fairly harmless, as as how I would classify it. It's yeah. not. Um, the reviews online make it sound almost bland. Yes, I think that's maybe the best way to put it. It's just, it's it's not a bad thing, but it's not a good thing. It's just kind of it exists. It introduces. Um, I believe that's the one that introduces Robin. Yes, I could. Well, be. Robin's been around for a long time. Uh, anyhow, hasn't he? yeah, it's possible. I don't. I don't remember when Robin came in. Um, but anyhow, it's 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 bland. I don't actually remember. This is kind of the problem with it. I don't actually remember much, and I didn't revisit it in this list yeah. because I remember not loving it. And then there were two Christmas specials. There was it's a very merry Muppet Christmas movie, and there was another one which t- the title has eluded me. Yeah. And I can never keep the two of them straight because, because they were I'm both not, really bland, and, and they were just TV specials that felt very corporate and Disney in yeah. a weird way. Yeah, without being maybe either, it just wasn't anything. They were it's just like, kind of throwaways. Yeah. Um, then there was the movie that shall not be named. And then we get to uh, no, no, the we, ha- we, we have to we have to talk about it at least briefly, because this is truly the lowest point that the Muppets have hit. Um, Muppet Wizard of Oz. Oh, it's 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 really a train wreck of a movie. There's there's maybe what two clever ideas in the whole film, if that. Maybe I don't remember yeah. what they are, but I'll I'll say that there might be. <laughs> and and like, well, okay, I will say like the casting of the characters, they are in good roles. In, in theory, and here's here's the in problem theory, with it. It's in, just it's in the writing. The writing yeah. betrays the Muppets. Yeah, it's it's a complete departure from everything that makes the Muppets the Muppets. Yeah, and um, you know from from Gonzo nipples to Quentin Tarantino to uh, it yeah. just it, it has so many things wrong with it um, that it would take too long to list. So the less said the better, probably. But Muppet Wizard of Oz, I'm I'm happy that I never had to pay to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, is maybe the best thing I can say about it. Yeah, I, I watched it once. I think I got a free copy of it in something. I, when I bought the first season of the Muppet Show on it DVD, was included. It, it, they gave me a free copy of. The yeah, Muppet I, I had a, I had it for I think for a little while like in a little paper sleeve. I want to say it was like in a cereal box or so. It was something where it's like I got it. Oh, check this out! And I threw it away. I, I I've never thrown any movie away. I just was like, no, not watching that again. Don't need it in the house. Um, and that that breaks my heart because this is the Muppets we're talking yeah. about, um, which brings us back to mo- the modern era of the Muppets. Uh, yes, um, which is the first movie that came out in this era is the Muppets, which I think when we talk, I, I think we've talked about it many times, and I think the best thing that we've you can really say about it is that it brings the Muppets back. It it's, does. It's, it feels like a continuation of the ongoing story that we've always kind of been a part of. This very loose story or universe that exists where the Muppets exist in. The best way I can describe it, you know how I said that to me, like Jim Henson and his worlds that he create are kind of like nostalgia 
you know, mm-hmm. in, in movie form. Yeah. This, The Muppets, is a movie about loving that nostalgia. Yes. Which is wonderful. It's a wonderful movie because of that. But it's not completely a Muppet movie. No. Because it's about loving the nostalgia of the Muppets. It's Yeah, it's really, it's almost, it's Jason Siegel and Amy Adams' movie. Yeah. You know, they're there with the Muppets. And they're, I have no problem with them. It's, I it's think, a wonderful, it's a I, wonderful reintroduction because it's kind of a, here's people you love, actors you love, here's Muppets. You haven't seen them for a while, so we're actually going to maybe make them a little more supporting mm-hmm. to reintroduce you to all of them. And, it, and that's kind of the plot of the movie. It's bringing the gang back together. Yeah. And so it really, really works as an introduction to the Muppets again. It really does. I, I feel like I feel like if you had just done a straight up Muppet movie, it, you may have you may have kind of thrown the audience in the deep end, you know, kind of like and expected them like, like this is Muppet movies. Like who are all these characters again? And like, Why I, do- I, I, I don't care. But oh, here's Jason Siegel and Amy Adams being charming and they're singing and it's wonderful music. Yeah, I love the soundtrack to the the Muppet movie, uh, the Muppets. Yes, the Muppets. Movie. <laughs> um, and so, but and so, and at the end of that movie, I remember hoping that one of two things happen, or preferably both. One is at the end of that movie, you have like, they rebuild the Muppet theater. And for me, that was like the perfect time and excuse to bring back the Muppet show, which I still kind of hope they do. I don't know if they ever will. I know they experimented with it. Like in the late nineties or early two thousands. Yeah. And it went away pretty quickly. Um, I would still. I still think it's a formula that works. I, th- I still think you can make a really solid thirty minutes out yeah, of that. The, the big problem with just to to go off on the tangent of that is that they didn't make Kermit the host. They created a brand new host for it, and it was more of a late night talk show concept. That's right. And and I get why they did that because you know Jim Henson had died. They were trying to figure it. I don't think they had. Uh, I think they were trying to be respectful of the Kermit legacy and yeah. and any number of things. But for. I think for that for anything Muppet to work at this point, Kermit has to be the center of the story, mm-hmm. and and that's what the new movies have done, and but that's why the Muppets Tonight I think ultimately failed, and yeah. and why it's still there is room for there to be a new Muppet Show potentially. Uh, yeah, and yeah, so bring back the Muppet Show. The other one was that I just wanted more Muppet movies. It's like give me one of these a year, one every ten months. However, and basically, and Muppets Most Wanted picks up literally. As the final song from the Muppets ends, <laughs> nice. and then like it ends, and everybody's like, "Okay, well, what do we do now?" And it just goes from there, basically. Nice. And it's 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 hilarious and funny, and mm-hmm. it is it is just the Muppets run amok, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was laughing through the movie, and then about um, if you've listened to the soundtrack, there's some spoilers mm-hmm. on the soundtrack, um, but there's a song. Um, and I'm trying to remember what it's called now. But there's a song that Constantine, who's the bad guy, yes. uh, who's replaced Kermit, sings. Um, and it starts out, he and Piggy have been arguing. Yeah. And, uh, is, it like, is it like the Promises song? Yes, or yes. I can get you anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he starts singing this. And, and the visual of it all is hilarious because he's just standing there on this train talking to Piggy and suddenly his shirt is unbuttoned. He's got like wind blowing past him and like, and she's looking around going like, what's going on? And, uh, and then um, as soon as like the next shot is back to him and uh, the, the screen has got like that glow around it. And then you Mm -hmm. see like his finger is going around putting Vaseline on the camera lens to make it, to make it do the, the, 
Yeah. And, like, she's just look, And, like, the song just goes from there. And, like, that was the first, like, major, like, laugh out loud. And from there, it just kept going for me. Um, nice. It was funny up to that point, because that's, like, maybe 30 minutes into the movie something. It was funny up to there, but from there on, like... I was fully in, and it was yeah. great. Like, but it's those kinds of visual gags, and it was just, it was, it was mm. wonderful. So awesome! I can't wait to see it. It's definitely going to be a movie that we are going to see as soon as we can. It's just a matter of, at this point, kind of help. It. We need to either find a babysitter or wait for it to come out on DVD so she can go to bed and we can watch it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, all right. Well, uh, that is. Are, so that's that's Muppets from us. Is Muppets. there anything, uh, any recommendations, any suggestions for our listeners in closing here? Go go watch it all. I mean, <laughs> I I don't know that there's an alternative to the Muppets. You know, to actually watching the Muppet movies. There's there there's lots of people who do puppet things, and all, I, you know, puppetry is a fascinating art. And I think you know, if you could start, if you go read the Jim Henson biography, maybe that's, that's the best I, thing I would what, say. That's what I was going to recommend because Kelly has never completely understood okay so she's never completely understood my my love of the muppets because they do a lot of the things that she doesn't like mm-hmm. like acknowledging they're in a movie that drives her nuts she's like i don't want she doesn't like people breaking the fourth wall i love people breaking the fourth wall um and so little things like that have always kind of bothered her a little bit about the muppets um, and then she read this biography, and now she's like a hundred percent on board with the Muppets. And she said, she looked at me. She goes, "This was this was your plan all along. <laughs> this is this was she was this was the best way to get me to love the Muppets uh, was to appeal to me in this way." And I think that's the success of this book. Yeah, is that it will make you fall in love with this whole idea and this whole universe. And with Jim and, Henson. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, the Jim Henson the biography by Brian J. Jones. The audio, the Audible audiobook is. Phenomenal! Oh, it's it's one of the reader is amazing on it. I was in tears by the end of the prologue. Yeah, um, it's 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 great. Yeah. He 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 doesn't do exact voice mimic, mimicry through it, but he he is a wonderfully emotive reader who manages to capture kind of the essence of the voices of yes, the different characters. Especially Jim Henson, when he does like a Jim Henson voice, and when uh, occasionally he'll do like a Kermit voice. It's it's pretty close. Yeah, I mean it's close enough that you know exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So uh, I highly recommend it. And then just go watch all of the movies and the TV show. Anything you can find. There's nothing out of the Muppet backlog, other than uh, Wizard of Oz, that I would say don't watch. Um, Everything is interesting. At a a bare minimum, there's there's something fascinating about it, especially if you've read the book. and if you get, on, we'll we'll share some links because there's yeah. some really fascinating things that I didn't even realize that the uh, Muppet Creature Shop has worked on. Things that you wouldn't think the Muppet Creature Shop worked yeah. on, like Batman Begins. Yeah, things where they they're just showing up to do special effects. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe we'll post a link to the uh, to the funeral, Jim Henson's funeral. Oh um, yeah, because that'll people break your heart. More reasons to cry. It's you know it's it's one of the most beautiful like the it, whole the whole yeah. yeah it's it's just beautiful. So, I, yeah, I watched I, after reading the book. I watched the funeral because there's a very large chunk of it on on YouTube. Yeah, and it's like it it's the it's the funeral you want. You know, it's like if you could ever uh, you know if you could ever make your own funeral, be whatever yeah. you want. It's it's beautiful and that and then you know burn it down like a viking funeral after all the muppets leave yeah (laughs) anyhow that's what i would say um uh, you can't go wrong with the muppets basically you really can't so go see the new movie definitely go see the new we're not paid to say that no we're saying this because we love it we're not sponsored by anybody even netflix despite how often we bring them up yeah (laughs) um so 
Go and see that's, it. Yes. And um, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, as always, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash movies you should. Um, on Twitter, we are at movies you should. We are, we are on the line. At, uh, at, uh, uh, on the line, yeah. We are on the line at the World Wide Web on the internets at moviesyoushouldlove.com it's a uh, we will be back as soon as we can um, for another episode of Movies You Should Love I think the next episode will be about high noon but you, you probably shouldn't make any promises yeah pro- probably high noon though so <laughs> alright well we will see you next time everyone thanks for listening bye you've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com 